Well, good morning. I'm sure you guys weren't expecting to see me up here. Um, but Pastor Brett was just not feeling well this week, and I heard him trying to speak, and his voice was hurting and everything, so I just offered to take the sermon for him and just wanted to give him a respite. And so uh, I'm glad that he let me do it, be able to help him, and I just want to thank you guys for uh, your presence here this morning. We're excited about what the Lord is doing here. Um, uh, we have a baptism after our third service today, so we're excited about that. And then I'm also super excited about the opportunity that you just uh, heard about with kids. It's Hope uh, USA. Um, so please pray and consider how you can partner with uh, that organization, with us, with that program to reach kids who need to know that someone loves them, that someone cares about them, um, that there is a dependable, reliable person who will consistently be there for them. Um, I've been in student ministries for a long time, and I know that consistency is, is vital uh, to building relationship. And so um, if you uh, just feel that on your heart, if you feel the Lord tugging you in that direction, uh, we do have a sign-up sheet in the back if you'd like to be a prayer partner or if, or if you feel like the Lord's leading you to mentorship, um, and we'll have more information for you um, after you sign up. So um, what an invaluable opportunity and an invaluable program, and I'm really excited about the opportunity that's, that's lying before us with that. Um, but I'm someone who is an easily distracted, very forgetful person. Uh, it's something that I've been working on uh, for a long time. I'm pretty self-aware about it, uh, but I move from things quickly. I move from one thing to another. Uh, I like to blame, you know, ADHD, but really it's just... It's just how I've always been. Uh, and I know my wife loves this about me. It's her favorite thing about me that I forget everything all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, she hates it. And uh, I'm the classic meme of a husband who has been told a thousand times about plans and then the day of is like, wait, what are we doing? Like, I didn't, this is the first time I've heard about this, which is never the right thing to say because that leads into other things. Um, so, Anyone who knows me knows this about me. I feel like this, yeah, I knew this was behind me and it was distracting me. Let's get this out of here. Uh, I didn't want to step back and like fall over it. Uh, so anyone who knows this about me uh, knows that um, I'm kind of hard to deal with sometimes. I'm sure that you've been uh, on the receiving end of this. I may have been the source of frustration for many of you when it comes to communication. So if I've ever received a text from you and never gotten back with you, just know I'm not ignoring you, I promise. Uh, more than likely, I, I saw your text or your call and I made a note to respond to you later. I might have been in the middle of driving or in the middle of a meeting or something like that. But the issue is that the note that I made was a mental note. <laughs> and so I forgot it as well. Uh, so I write them down when I remember to, uh, but I'm working on it, right? But really no excuses. There's really no excuses. Uh, it's an important part of life, uh, being able to communicate and being dependable and reliable. That's important. So not returning messages or not re returning calls can seriously dampen your reliability um, or make it seem like you just don't care or that, you just, you, that it's not that big of a deal to you. And so what we find here in our passage is really just another example of how Jesus' disciples they just seem to forget who they're with and what they've been through with him. Even though they've been told and seen things with their own eyes up to this point, uh, they still just don't seem to quite grasp what's going on around them. And I don't want to like drag them through the mud because they did a lot of good things, obviously. It seems like we give them a bad rap. They were awesome people, but they just didn't quite get it. And so I want to invite Ruth Peelman up. She's going to read for us this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. That will be on page 894 in your seatback Bible. And if you would stand for the reading of God's word this morning, I'd appreciate that. Good morning, Ruth. 
Oh, you need a Bible? Or a microphone? Or both? <laughs> See forgetfulness, right? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good morning. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately... He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. So before we jump any further, let's join together in prayer real quick. Father, I'm grateful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful for uh, the many examples that you give us of just your character, who you are, and what you're revealing to us. I pray, God, that you would help us now to just quiet our minds. Um, would you help us to, um, to zero in on what you have for us? Um, God, I know that we could have people from all over um, uh, the spectrum when it comes to just issues in life who are present this morning, and I pray that you would speak to them directly. Uh, so we want to commit this service to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we see Jesus, and he's coming off the tail end of healing many people. And he was in the Decapolis, uh, which is a cluster of, of 10 cities just to the southeast of Galilee. And this was a primarily Gentile region. Because of the miracles Jesus had been performing, though, the, and the prophecies that he had been fulfilling, there was a buzz beginning to kind of stir about Jesus. It was spreading. And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had talked about how Jesus made his way to the city of Tyre, which was a pagan city, uh, according to the Jews, and no one would follow him there. And the reason why he went there was to be alone. And we talked about how the Jews wouldn't follow him there. And so he would have a better chance to find some alone time. But then this woman showed up and she was a Gentile woman. And she had a daughter who was possessed by a demon. And she had asked for the crumbs that fell from the Lord's table. And so what that was really was kind of a major foreshadowing of what's taking place here in our text and what really has already taken place in the Decapolis. So these Gentiles had been reaching for crumbs from Jesus and he had offered them everything. And so now we see Jesus, he's in a very similar situation as he was when he was with the Jews where people are following him everywhere, right? And they're coming from all over to see him. And then we see a familiar scene unfold. But before we kind of jump into this miracle, uh, I want to just quickly cover one of the issues that comes up when we read this passage. And, and it might be no surprise to you, or it might be surprising, but it sounds very similar to a previous miracle. It's one that tends to be spoken of more often than this one, and it's when Jesus fed the 5,000. Everyone talks about when Jesus fed the 5,000, and that was not including women and children. So sometimes people tend to think that these are two different tellings of the same story, 
But we want to make sure that we all know and understand that these are indeed two separate miracles. And here's how they're different, really. I just wanted to kind of compare them really quickly. So the 5,000 happened in Galilee, and the crowd uh, that gathered was, uh, they, were, they were Jewish. Um, they had been with him for one day. They had five loaves and two fish. They were, uh, there were 5,000 men plus women and children. And then they had 12 small baskets left over after they had fed everyone. And then the 4,000 happened in the Decapolis. And this crowd was with him for three days. And it was made up of Gentiles. And they had seven loaves and a few fish to use. And there were 4,000 people, including women and children, it says. And they had seven large baskets left over which seems to be much bigger and more likely more leftovers than the last miracle. So clearly these are two separate miracles from two different times. It's not the same account and it's not referencing the same story. So like I had mentioned earlier, this was a foreshadowing. Um, This was foreshadowed by the Gentile mother asking for the crumbs from the Lord's table. And because of her faith, her daughter was healed. And similarly, we see because of the faith of these people um, that they showed in Jesus, he feeds them and he cares for them and he fills them to the brim. And it's not just crumbs that these Gentiles receive from Jesus who don't have a seat from the ta- at the table, but a feast spiritually and physically. And so now after feeding their souls for three days, he proves that he's the bread of life for all people by feeding them until they are full. And this was out of his supply and his goodness because they really didn't have that much to go off of, obviously. And then it says he sees the crowd um, and he calls his disciples to him and he says, I have compassion on these people because they've already stayed with me three days and I have nothing to eat. And if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long distance. And so we can see how Jesus, he, he recognizes that these people are exhausted, that they are hungry, and that they have a long trip ahead of them, and he cares for them. He has compassion for them. And when you read that, it kind of just jumps off the pages that God's love for us is all-encompassing. He cares for the entire person. He cares for the whole you. He cares about the life that you have here, and he cares about your condition I think a lot of times we get scared to talk about this stuff because it kind of sounds like, you know, some prosperity stuff. But trust me, it's not that. We're not going that way. He does not desire, though, for you to continually suffer and to hurt. He does not delight in those things, though we know that suffering does come as a result from following Christ. What he wants is for you to be satisfied, but satisfied in him and him alone. And when he sees you in your brokenness, what we see here from our text is that he sees it and he has compassion. So it's both spiritually and physically here. But now I don't want, like I said, us to mishear what I'm saying and for us to think that I'm saying that Jesus will just fix your discomforts physically and that he doesn't want you to be made uncomfortable because that is not the case. We know that that's not the case. And while his compassion here certainly shows the physical care that Jesus does have for us, we can also clearly see how even in this physical care, it's a reference to what is truly available to us through Christ. So John 6, 35, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so what is found in Jesus is so much more. Uh, what we see here is a picture of, of that verse in John 6 that we just read. These people, they came to Jesus, and they stayed with him for three days, and then they were wholly filled, completely full, so much so that they had seven large baskets left over. 
They were filled up and now they were ready for their journeys back home, back to the regularly scheduled lives that they, that they lived. And as they get back home and back to the grind of life, surely they would have had this encounter in their minds forever. Hopefully, from this experience with Jesus, there was a flag planted in the foundations of their hearts, knowing that they have encountered the Savior of the world and that their lives will never be the same. And we know, sadly, that that isn't always the case. We have our lives as living proof of that. We experience Jesus all the time, and then we forget him. Oftentimes, we are like the disciples here who are faced with an almost identical situation to one that they've witnessed and were a part of, and yet they still ask the question, how can we do this? How's it going to work? We're out here in this desolate place. Where will we find enough bread to feed these people? They ask the same questions. But what I love about this is that we even see Jesus. He had compassion in that moment, even on the disciples, because he didn't criticize them for not remembering, although we've seen him and his correction come out before when they've lacked faith. But he just simply asks in response to that, how many loaves do we have? And then he goes on to provide in an abundance beyond the needs of the people. So he is clearly more than enough. He has provided in an abundance for us. We have been cared for so deeply by the Lord that we have an abundance of leftovers just waiting to serve those around us as we engage the world. What has he left with us, though? What are the contents of these leftovers? And I think for us, it's the same compassion, love, grace, and mercy that he fed and continually feeds to us. Yet we forget about it. We forget those things. We have spiritual amnesia. How often do we quickly forget just how good and gracious God is to us when we're faced with yet another obstacle, yet another hardship, or another stressful situation where it just takes over and we forget? How often do we look at Jesus like, what are you doing? How could this ever work? How could you come through on this? How can you make this happen? And so when we look at the spiritual amnesia of the disciples, it's really letting it serve as a mirror to us and how we are so forgetful. Now, I do think sometimes when we read passages like this that talk about the compassion of God and we begin to wonder where it is in my life. If he cared so much about these people and these people's well-being, then why am I not on the receiving end of this physical care? Why have I not been healed? And when you find yourself in the middle of deep pain and what feels like silence, then the questions get louder and they begin to distract you from what you know is true. I was reading an article about this Christian woman who was diagnosed with cancer and she was so gracefully talking about her struggles with this very thing. And she wrote that she asked, if he's good, why does it hurt so much? And what have I done to deserve this? And why won't he just fix it? Why won't he just take it away? Anger, confusion, sadness, bitterness, hopelessness. These were the things that began to take root. And so then you turn away from him and you begin to believe the opposite of what you used to know to be true, that he is good and that he loves you and that he is there for you. But what I love about her story, and then she wrote this, is that she thought to remember, which is a key word, 
She thought to remember Job and David and Daniel and Joseph and Paul and the countless others who had sat in the very same place of tension, all of who experienced terrible hardships, and they still worshiped the Lord all the same. They still wrestled with their unanswered questions. They still felt lost and alone at times. They still felt invisible. All the while, the God that they worshiped is all-knowing and all-seeing and promises to never leave them. So one thing that rings true about these heroes of the faith is that they placed their trust in a God that they knew to be not just all-powerful, but one who is perfect and who is good. So they trusted through their pain and through their frustration, right? They trusted through their pain and through their frustration, and they knew that he was good. They found hope in their unshakable belief that God is good and that he loves them unconditionally. And so while, yes, he most certainly possesses all the power to change our circumstances, what we find is that he usually changes us in the midst of our circumstances, causing us to see him for who he really is. And he's a father who has prepared a place for us, whose sacrifice on the cross gave you a seat at his table. And in that, he's given you an abundance of his grace and his compassion. So make no mistake, he has compassion for you. And he knows your needs. But ultimately, our lives here, we know this, are just a mist. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. And so we fall into this trap of living for tomorrow. We place our hope in future contexts. We forget that our life with Christ and the hope of eternity that we have in him, it started the moment that we believed. This isn't a future hope that we're clinging to. It is a present one that we have now that is also made good in the future. Right? He offers us a feast of himself, that he is the bread of life, and he offers himself in abundance, and he has filled us up to the brim with himself. And so we, in turn, strive to cling to him because he is the truth. We trust in him not only for the things that we can see, but for the things that we can't see. We trust in him when we are full, and we trust in him when we are empty. We can trust him and his provision because he has proved it time and time again. And we see it clearly here as he pours out his compassion on these people. So as I was reading this and just thinking through the trust that we have in the Lord and his faithfulness, my mind was drawn to Jesus's words for us in Matthew 6 when he is teaching on this very matter of trust. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than the body, more and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of, one, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I know that's a long, long passage, but it's clear. It's clear that that's the call in our life. That's what we're supposed to be experiencing. When I hear those words, I'm reminded of just how good God really is. But I'm also reminded that my worry shows my lack of trust in him. Do I really trust him? Or maybe it's not that I don't trust him. Maybe it's that I'm not truly satisfied by what he's provided. Maybe I'm desiring something different. And ultimately, we have really a couple ways to respond to this miracle and to this truth. The first one is just simply being filled and being satisfied in him. There are a lot of things fighting for you and your attention and your devotion. There are a lot of things that want you to think that you need them in order to be happy. And that's what marketing really is. That's what it's designed to do, to show you something that makes you think that you need it and that your life will be better with it or maybe worse without it. There are so many things out there that are designed to make you feel as though your needs are not being met while simultaneously telling you that you need more because your needs are not met and that they will promise to meet them. But what we find is that those things are empty and they're hollow. In the same way that Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, they look good on the outside and they're empty and they're void on the inside, void of what they promise to bring us. They're void of contentment. They don't have it. So when I think of what it looks like to be filled and completely satisfied in the Lord, the picture that I get is that of Paul. When he says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. He's in prison, by the way, when he's writing this. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And when you have the context of that verse, it means a lot more than doing your best, doesn't it? I have learned to be well-fed, or I've learned to be content when I'm well-fed or hungry, when I have everything or I have nothing. See, Jesus is the source of his contentment. He is the source of his contentment. You will not find contentment. You you will not overflow with the abundance of his goodness and his grace if you are not feeding on it. And so the hardships that Job and David and Daniel and Joseph and Paul and the countless others endured were only endured with the faith that they had intact because they knew God. They spent time with him. They understood his character. And they fought to remember his faithfulness in the past which is what we are called to do and, is what we, and it's what we see happening to the disciples here as they had forgotten what had already happened before. The very thing that should have strengthened their confidence in this situation is the very thing they forgot about. We need to fight against spiritual amnesia. I mean, if you just take a trip through the Psalms, you will see David, who is a man after God's own heart, wrestling with sin and sickness and silence and depression, all while still standing unmoved on who God is. We must fight to cling to the truth that we know of God. 
So I'm going to turn here. You don't have to if you don't want to, but uh, Psalm 77, verses 1 through 15, this is what it says. This is a really good example of David when he's really wrestling with life and what's going on. He feels like the Lord's being silent, but then he remembers God. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I'm troubled and I cannot speak. I consider days of old, years long past. At night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generation? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say, I am grieved that the, hand, the right hand of the Most High has changed. This is the best part. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the people. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. What an example we have of of wrestling, of wrestling with life. It's okay to acknowledge hardship. It's okay to acknowledge frustration. It's okay to be confused and to wonder what's going on and to ask the Lord those things. But in your wondering, don't forget him. Don't forget who he is. Don't forget who you're speaking of. What an example of being transparent and open with the Lord as he laid himself out before the Lord. Even though it's clear that he was getting crickets in return at this point, he still remembered. He remembered who it was that he was speaking to and all that he had done previously. And I think the thing that I notice when I read the Psalms is that he isn't bottling things up all the time. Now, I know there's examples of him bottling things up and we get to read how it makes his body hurt and he wastes away when he keeps things hidden. But what we see clearly through Psalms is that he lays himself out there time and time again for the Lord. He's transparent. He's dealing with these things. He's laying them all out before him and he's allowing him to speak into them. And I think that our problem here today is that we move at such a fast pace that it is next to impossible for us to really deal with what we're experiencing and what we're going through. And while you may be fighting a multitude of things, what I believe that is at the center of most of our angst and our frustration and our discontentment with the Lord or where we're at with him is that we have this deep spiritual hunger to be filled and fed by him but we never stop long enough to really eat. And we might snack, we might graze a little bit, but we aren't eating what he has prepared for us. Honestly, maybe we forgot what it tasted like. It would seem that at times David had forgotten when you're reading the scriptures, but then you see that he remembers. When the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good, or when it says to us how sweet his words are to the taste, they're like sweeter than honey. Maybe you need to stop and remember how they taste. To remember him and his goodness. Maybe you need to remember the gospel of Jesus and that he tossed your sin into the depths of the ocean. 
to the depths of the sea and it will never hold them against you in Christ. You have been made clean and you have his righteousness. And if this life produces, never produces one more good thing for you, will the forgiveness that you received and the hope that you now have, will it be good enough? Will the salvation of your soul be good enough for you? To remember that you were once an enemy of his and now you are not just a friend, but family. Yet we still forget. Now maybe the disciples here in this moment, maybe they didn't really show a lack of faith because they didn't really explicitly say that Jesus couldn't do this. But if we look at the last miracle, it said that they didn't understand about the loaves, that their hearts were hardened even. So I think it's okay to kind of assume that they just really didn't grasp it. And it really goes to show us that the human condition is one that forgets all the good things that God does for us and has done for us. And I think the reason is because pain is loud and peace is quiet. Pain is loud. It's distracting, but peace is quiet. That's why Jesus goes to the quiet place. Peace is quiet. How many things are we fearful of? Are we anxious about? Are we stressed out over? Um, and that God has already proven capable of and faithful with in the past. Man, one of the best promises that we have from God is the past. What a blessing it is to be able to read his word and to look back at how faithful he's actually been. What a blessing it is to have written down for yourself prayers and then to look back and to see and recount how he's answered those prayers. When Grace and I were first married, we were given this little prayer journal and I wish we would have actually used it because we just didn't know at the time. It was given to us so that we could write prayer requests down with the sole purpose of being able to go back and see how the Lord had been faithful to us in our new marriage and our new family and all that kind of stuff. To be able to go back and to praise his name for his faithfulness. Now what we learn is that his faithfulness is really, it's always there. But maybe it comes in a way that we don't really understand. Or maybe it brings about a result that we didn't really want or, or desire at the time. Or maybe one that we would never have chosen for ourselves. But when you look back, you can still see his goodness. You can still trust him for whatever tomorrow may bring because of his faithfulness previously. We just sang a song all together where we said, faithful you have been and faithful you will be. I love those lines. Cause us to remember, regardless of what comes, your praise will ever be on my lips. So look back and find hope in the faithfulness of God, knowing that he will be faithful, not only because of what he's done, but because of who he is, because of how you know him. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, then today is that day. I hope it is. You've heard nothing. If you've heard nothing else this morning, then please hear this. Please hear that you are deeply loved. Regardless of where you've been or what you've done, he sees you. And he sees you. And I know that you may think that he hates you, but I promise that he has compassion for you. That he loves you. Right? What he hates is how there is a giant chasm between you and him, but he's made a bridge and he died on the cross to pay the price for the sin that separated you from him. And he took it so that you wouldn't have to. That's how much he loves you. That's how much compassion he has for you. And all you have to do is simply place your faith in him to believe in him. Romans 10, 9 says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
that he is God, right? And believe in your heart, meaning at your core, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the gist of it. That's it. So we're going to go into a time of reflection now. And I want to challenge us to use this time to remember his goodness to you and to how faithful he's been. And if you're in a season, maybe you're in the midst of, of hardship, even now, just lean into him. Maybe you feel like you, all you've been doing is leaning into him. My encouragement to you is the same as it was a couple of weeks ago. Don't leave. If you feel like he's being silent, don't leave. He is present in the silence. And if you're in a season of doubt, I would encourage you to pray the same words that the Roman centurion said who was wrestling with his own doubt and belief when he was faced with a seemingly impossible situation when he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me in this. So you'll have some couple minutes to do this and then I will uh, wrap it all up in prayer together.